Amen. So we're kind of winding this Nehemiah um, series down, and, and I'm enjoying it, and I've enjoyed what's going on today. Um, uh, let me just uh, say that we're, we're looking at an aspect of this story in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 8, um, and there's something there that I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to share, and I believe there's some work that he wants to do in this room today, honestly, uh, and in all sincerity. It's been, a, it's been a great weekend. We got to celebrate the EKU homecoming, and there was a great big parade. Parade, and the first ever time in my life I got to be in one of those and bless a family and be blessed by a family. And so our celebration was going on like that. And then on Saturday, um, I got to go to church last night at the vineyard over in Wilmore. And that was very exciting because the director of uh, vineyard um, worship um, was there speaking, and I'd forgotten all about that, and he had his whole worship team. Um, and he is from the Campbellsville uh, Vineyard, which is um, the first oldest, I think, vineyard in the, the state of Kentucky. Anyway, and so uh, we got to, to interact and talk, and then after that, we got to go hang out at the uh, Wilmore Vineyards worship leader's house um, and just eat pulled pork and barbecue and all the things, and, and it was just absolutely amazing. And the one thing that was going on was we were celebrating and that's what I want to talk about today is the idea of celebrating you, celebrating your story, celebrating what God wants to do in your life right now. Often you've heard me say that Psalm 139 says, every day ordained for you is written down in God's book before even one of them came to pass. And I, wish, I just want to encourage you that that is the truth. You are not here by accident. But if you can choose to believe that that scripture is true, not that God made you come in here, but that he knew you were going to come in here, then there is a place for you to be able to say, then God must have something to say to me or a work to do in my life. And it's that that we're after today as we look at Nehemiah's story. So let's, uh, let's begin with Nehemiah. Um, let's look at what he says in Nehemiah chapter 8. We recognize, this, uh, we recognize that God moves in people's lives. And sometimes we just have to say, why? In this particular story, the uh, walls have been rebuilt. We've been sharing the story about the fact that they were in, in crumbles, and we likened it to your life, that your life is in a little bit of crumble somewhere, that something in your life has been destroyed, knocked down, and the gates have been torn off and burned. And you're like, hey, how can God put this area of my life? Or for some of you, I'm just going to be honest with you, some of you don't know Jesus, but you go to church. And, and God wants to put your whole life back together. He wants to start there before he starts doing the little tiny things. And I want to encourage you in that. And so um, we recognize that the walls have been built back together. And then, believe it or not, the people tell Ezra and Nehemiah that they want Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses and that these people want Ezra to read the, this to them. So in the first day of the seventh month and um, of, of uh, the Jewish calendar, everybody gets together in Jerusalem and all of the people, and it's important to see that on the first day, all of the people say, bring out the book of the law, have Moses, or Ezra stand up there and read it to us. We need to hear what God says. And this is very true of your life as well, because sometimes when God is about to do something very, very new in your life, he will also, all, um, I mean, um, um, at times, let me say it that way, he will at times say, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to look at something in the scripture. Um, for you and I, today, it might be that God wants to take us to Matthew 4, 5, and 6, which is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the core of Jesus' whole message. 
is right there and everything points back to that. And sometimes when something powerful is going on inside of our personal lives or our spiritual lives, God will take us to a place in a song or in scripture and it will capture our heart and we will begin to just need to be there. That's the first day. The second day, out come the leaders of the family. But let's just look at what this scripture has to say in Nehemiah chapter 8. I just need to lay that out for you. So all of these people... 49,000 people are standing in the square. It's a little bit more than that. But they're all standing in the square, and Nehemiah is reading this. And then the next day, just the heads of the households. Look what it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites, the worship leaders, okay, who were instructing the people, who were instructing the people, said to them all. So Nehemiah and these people are saying, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Have you ever been somewhere where you sang a song or you've been reading scripture and all of a sudden it captures your heart and you just become emotional and you know you're emotional and it's not just because you're old like me. Okay? It's like, you know, because so many times I cry and I'm, I'm getting convinced it's because I'm old. But sometimes you're just there. We'll be singing a song in here, and all of a sudden you'll just start crying. Um, I was sitting in my office even this morning, and a specific phrase from a specific worship song came on, and I just bowed my head and started crying. And I just said, Lord, this is what we need from you. And these people are hearing these words, and these words are reaching in and capturing their hearts. And as a result of capturing their hearts, they're becoming emotional because the Holy Spirit is physically and actually doing something in their lives. And they don't know what to do. It's very much like when Peter stood up and he said, gentlemen, people, these people are not drunk as you suppose in Acts 2. He says, they're not drunk. It's only the ninth hour or third hour, whatever hour it was. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. He says, you people need to understand that this is what God said in Joel chapter 2. And he said, in the latter days, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters. And he's like, hey, this is what's going on in here. You need to know that. Okay, but they were just overcome because they had said, Peter, what are we going to do as a result of all of these things? They were, their hearts were quickened. And I love what Peter, he said, all of you need to repent, but each of you needs to get baptized. See, together we need to come and say, Lord, we have not been doing what you called us to do. But individually, we need to make our commitment to the Lord and repent. That's what Peter said. Well, the same thing is going on right here. All of these people are together, and they have to tell the people, listen, stop crying. No mourning, no weeping. This is a sacred day because the people had been weeping as they listened to the law. They weren't awful, horrible sinner people. They were just people like you and I. But as they listened to the word, they understood, wow, we've not been doing what Moses said. We've not been doing what the Bible says. God told us to do stuff, and we've been doing other stuff, and it's okay. You know, they, they, these people can't eat pork in, at this particular time. Last night, I was eating pork barbecue at the worship leader's house in Wilmore, and I, I ate so much that at two o'clock this morning, I didn't get woken up by the Holy Spirit. I got woke up by the worship leader's wife who cooked that stuff or wherever it came from. They're just like, mm, you know, come on, I got to sit up for a little bit. You know how they, you old people know how that is, because we're old people together. But these people were seeing these things and realizing, hey, we're not walking with God the way we should be walking with God. 
And they began to weep so much that Nehemiah and Ezra had to say, listen, you people, you have to stop weeping. So Nehemiah said in verse 10, he says, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some of those to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people. See, they got to keep, they're, they're working on them. Calm down. People, it's okay. Be still, for this is a sacred day. You're not allowed to grieve. Don't do that. Then all the people went away to eat and drink and send portions of food to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. I love reading this story because um, this particular um, week, or last two weeks actually, as I was reading this story, I love it when I learned something new. And I love that as Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, they're all there and they're sharing the word. They're just reading the Bible. They just opened up the scrolls and they're reading the Bible. Okay, the scripture will say that the Levites and, and Nehemiah, they're, they're helping the people to understand what it means. And it's like, oh, they're preaching. They're making it relevant. They're doing Sunday school. It's, it's Bible study. They're trying to say, hey, this is what Ezra said. This is what he read. So this is how you live it out. And that's what was going on. And these people began to cry. And, and, and their lives were just like, wow, what's going on here? What are we doing? And then they had to say, hey, don't cry. Don't do that. It's okay. It's going to be all right. So let's just continue to do a little bit of background here, okay? On the second day of the seventh month, all the heads of the families came, and they asked them to continue reading the Bible, continue doing this. And suddenly, the whole place began to understand that, that God wants them to celebrate because they were at the place of reading about the Feast of Booths, or Sukkot, if I'm, I'm saying that wrong, and if I'm not, I'm just going to have to ask you to forgive me. S-U-K-K-O-T. Sukkot or Sukkot. Okay, but that's a celebration. It's a feast that God commanded Moses to command the Israelites to keep. Now, it comes at a time when the harvest is ending. The grapes are coming in, and I'll read that in just a minute. But it comes at that time, but it commemorates God being faithful and taking care of the children of Israel while they were in the wilderness. For 40 years, they're in the wilderness, and it says, remember, I fed you, remember, I led you, and remember, your clothes and your shoes never wore out for 40 years. Let that settle in for a minute. For 40 years, you didn't have to buy a new pair of jeans. For 40 years, you didn't have to buy some new sneakers. For 40 years, the shirt that you went into the wilderness with was good. Anybody that was born in the wilderness for 40 years, their clothes did not unravel, get big holes in them, shoes, leather on the bottom did not wear. I'm just telling you, my wife and I raised five kids. We did. And we had two there at the end that are bigger than I am. And there were times that I felt like we could just take a ruler and stand next to him and watch him go. Because a month would go by and my wife would be like, we need some more money. we got to buy these boys jeans. And I would say, we just bought them jeans. And she's like, but they're growing. And I'm like, stop feeding them. We can't afford to have these last two. It's like, come on. And they just kept going. I mean, one of them got a size 14 shoe. I got a nine and a half. Where did that come from? The price of clothes for 40 years. 
the Jews did not have to worry about making themselves new clothes because God said they didn't wear out. And so this was going to commemorate the fact that because they were in the wilderness, they had to live in booths. That's what they had to do. Okay, I was a kid and I did not grow up in a good, wholesome or healthy situation. And as a junior high and a high school, mostly junior high, I would run off into the woods in Portsmouth. I would. I would run them off, off to the woods and I would hide in the woods and I would break branches off of pine trees and I would circle them around the lowest boughs of the pine trees and I would make myself a fort. And in the wintertime, they'd be like this, literally, There'd be this much snow piled up and I'd dig a hole and I'd put the branches and I'd put the snow back up on top of it and I could be out there four, five, six hours in my parka with it all pulled up and I would just sit there and be quiet, listen to the animals. That's where my love for out of doors came and, and I would just sit there and look through the, the, the branches and I would just see the little animals that are out there and that's, I, that's where I lived and that's what they're talking about. That's what they're talking about. And as I was thinking about that this morning, and it's not written in my notes, but I thought, wouldn't it be so cool if we all as Vineyard went down to Dick's Sporting Good and we all got pop-up tents? And then one week out of the year, we all lived on our front lawn because that's what the, the, the law said for them to do. Just right out in front of your house, build a little stick hut and put um, palm leaves and leafy tree you know, things on it. And that's where you're to spend the nights for seven days in a row. And I thought, wouldn't it create buzz in Richmond if we all had pop-up tents with little signs out front said Vineyard Community Church. And then people driving around going, what is going on here? And we're like, we're just commemorating that God took us to the mall and we're just waiting because, you know, we're going to go another 150 yards down that hallway over there to Penny's when they're done with it down there. It's like, I'm not done believing in that. I believe that. And it's like, no, wouldn't that be cool? You'd have to talk to your neighbors about that, wouldn't you? It's kind of like last week's sermon. It's like, you do that at church and you're going to get to talk about Jesus. You put that tent out in your front lawn and they keep looking up and down the road going, what is going on? And pretty soon you're going to get to talk to them about Jesus. And about how he has taken care of you. And that's what we're at. You're going to get to celebrate what God has done in your life. Can you do that? Could you celebrate what God has done in your life in the last year, two years, five years, ten years? Could you jump up and down and get excited? Then why don't we? Why don't we celebrate like that? So so obnoxiously in people's faces and not to be rude to people that they have to come and say what are you people doing is this against the code well we're just going to stay here a week is it all good we'll put the tent away till next year we would get to talk about jesus i mean think about it it's 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 a feast that God said you will not ignore no matter what. You'll have a sacred day at the beginning and then you will party like rock stars for seven days and on the last day you're going to uh, fast. But you're going to party. And I love this too. He says you're going to make sure that everybody that you know, see, look around, you're going to make sure that they have something to eat too. We'll get into that in a minute. But it was a camp out. It was a woman's weekend. It's not flashing on the screen, by the way. It was a woman's weekend. 
What a great analogy, huh? I'm a professional. See how I did that? Are you women going on the women's weekend where women always come home and they're like, oh man, you're never going to believe what happened on the women's weekend. Man, we prayed and this happened and this, and people cried and, and we sang songs and we just ran in little circles and then bears, there was bears, they got sea bears. And then, I mean, they come home with stories and they're, I mean, they just have to tell people about what happened at women's weekend. And it's coming up in November which is like Pastor Jeff said, just a breath away. Wow. Are you going to Women's Weekend? Because you should be going to Women's Weekend. I'm just telling you. If you're not, you might not make it into heaven. I'm just, okay, maybe you will, but I'm just saying you should think about that. Nehemiah 8, beginning of verse 17 says, the whole company that had returned from the exile, they, they went ahead and did this thing. They built temporary shelters and they lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun. His dad's name was Nun, N-U-N, okay? Until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated this holiday like this, and their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law on the podium that had been built in the town square, and they celebrated the festival for seven days. And on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulations, there was an assembly, and they fasted. All week you were hanging out with friends. You didn't have to go to work. You were partying and laughing and dancing and telling stories about what God had done that your parents had told you, that you had experienced. And it was just like, wow, this is absolutely amazing. They just couldn't keep it in. And God didn't want them to ever stop telling the story. When we look at the scripture and people interacting with Jesus, the same thing happens. When, when people interact with Jesus, they just can't not tell somebody. They have to tell somebody. What is it about where we are in history and in our relationship to Jesus that we find it super easy to just be quiet instead? To keep it to ourselves. Why is that? Surely our salvation is that great of a thing. Surely the forgiveness of my sins, I'm telling you right now, the Lord has done a mighty thing in my life. I'm celebrating that God saved my soul out of a black hell hole. I'm saying that God put me in a place in a community of faith that was very important to me. I'm celebrating that God even gave me a wife. I'm celebrating that God gave me children. We have five children. I'm celebrating that we have six grandchildren, seven grandchildren, sorry, my math and I'm celebrating that a couple of them are still holding out on me and are going to make more grandchildren, so I'm going to get more, so I'm thanking God in advance, like the scripture says, they're holding out on me, but God will talk to them, and I'm just, it's like, I'm, I can't not celebrate my life and what God is doing in my life. Not because I get everything I want, I promise you, I have run my head into many a wall, being disobedient to God. But in repenting and coming back, he stood me back up, set my feet on a solid rock, and gave me a firm place to stand, and then every single time put a new song in my mouth. A hymn of praise to our God that many would see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. How can we keep quiet about what the Lord is doing? In the book of Mark chapter 5, there's a story that Jesus interacted. He interacted with a man that had a legion, 12,000 demons inside of him. Listen, I'm telling you, it still happens today. It does. 
and, and Jesus came and, and cast these demons out, and it's a whole big story, and it's awesome, and it's great. And as a result of that, this man that was filled with the demons wanted to go with Jesus. And I just want to tell you, in Mark chapter 5, it says, and Jesus was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, and Jesus did not let him. You can't come with me. He says, instead, I want you to go home to your people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this guy, are you ready for this? And this guy went away and didn't do what Jesus said. I assume that he went back and told his family, but that wasn't enough. He went and told everybody in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were made. He went to 10 cities in and around Galilee, Capernaum. Ten cities he's there over where the Gadarenes is. And he won't shut up. Can you imagine today he'd be like going home? Hey, babe, how's your day? And his wife says, how's your day? I haven't seen you for like 14 years. And he'd be like, well, 12,000 demons were living inside of me, but they're not now. I'm good. It's all great. Yeah, it's all good. No way. This guy gets to be back with his family. If he's got kids, he gets to be back with his kids. He has to take up a job now, but he's done beating people up and killing them and, and, and being evil to them. This man was excited. He went home and said, girl, you're not going to know what happened today. Jesus walked up and everybody that was in here left. I'm all by myself. It's just you and I now. We don't have to worry about that. And as she's setting dinner, he's like, hey, I got to go to the next town. These people got to hear what Jesus did. This man is legit. He's for real. He will do it. And so he went and told them. In Mark chapter 1, there's a leper that wants Jesus to heal him. Jesus is walking along, and the leper says, hey, 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 however lepers say it. Hey, hey, Jesus, son of God. I imagine he was screaming and hollering. Blisters and pus and sore and uh, if it was real leprosy probably missing digits on his hands or maybe hands But I mean it, it's an evil sickness and the law says you can't be anywhere near people You got to stay away from them. So these lepers they have to stay away from people They have to stay away from their family Somebody has to bring them food drop it off then leave and then they pick up the food and they live in little colonies and things like that And they're ostracized and nobody wants to touch them and touch is a very important thing to human beings very important, even to people that don't like, that love languages and touch. Hug them anyway. I, listen, I'll, we can talk about it tomorrow, but so what? Huh? And he says, Lord, Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And he says, if you're willing, if you're willing. And Jesus says, if I'm willing, oh my word, child, I am willing. I am willing. And I believe that's a solid word for somebody in this room today. God is willing, but do we have the faith? Last night, the Adam Russell preached about mustard seeds and yeast. Just a little tiny mustard seed. He said, man, if that's all that God's wanting, that's the kingdom of God is, is you know, a mustard seed, but it grows up in a great big tree. But Jesus told us if we had the faith of a mustard seed, little tiny, smallest seed in the garden, if we had that much faith, if we could come to the Lord and say, it's you or nothing. If it was possible. The scripture says, Jesus said to this man when he did heal him, don't tell anybody. <laughs> You've been a leper for how long? I couldn't walk for how long and people are tired about hearing about my new hips. They are. I'm still working them. I still take steps and love them. I still know when the weather's going to change before a guy says it on TV. 
but who cares? Nobody carried me up on this platform today. Nobody went, is he going to make it? I can't not tell people about that. I can't not tell people that God actually gave them to me free. I can't not tell people that. I have to. And Jesus sends this guy away and says, don't tell anybody, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing. A couple of doves, if you're poor, as a testimony to the priest that God did something. But instead, this guy went out and began to freely talk, spread the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the desert in lonely places. Yet the people came to him from everywhere. Jesus said, listen, you keep it on the down low. And he said, okay. And he left and told everybody. And then everybody wanted to be healed of their leprosy. Everybody wanted new hips. Everybody wanted their sickness gone. Everybody. And I still believe God does that today. I am not believing people that say that there is an an apostolic age that ended because there's no scripture to back it up. None. But there's a people that the further we get away from the birth of Jesus get a little tired, get a little less believing, get a little less, a little less, and a little less. And we need to recapture that. This guy had a story to tell, and nobody was going to shut him up, not even the Lord himself. He was going to tell. And as a result, Jesus couldn't go into town openly anymore. So let me share this with you. You can write it down. Everybody gets to build the wall. That's the story of Nehemiah. Everybody gets to build. The story is about Nehemiah's leadership. It's about people's desire to have their inheritance back, Jerusalem. But more than that, it's about God. This applies to our lives individually, but also to our church corporately. People built the wall. Nehemiah led the project. I was thinking about that. These people were commiserating. Then they got situated, and then they got motivated, then they got dedicated, then they built the wall. It's an alliteration. I had to. I had to. Then they rebuilt the wall. But get this, Nehemiah doesn't get the glory for that. God does. See, God did it. Every time you open up your Bible and read a story, it's, it's not about Noah. It's about God. It's God's ark. It's not Noah's ark. Noah didn't know what he was doing until God showed up and gave him a blueprint. It's not. It's not Noah's. It's God's. You know? Prodigal son... The prodigal son is not about the prodigal son. It's not. Go back and read it. Nobody came up and said, Jesus, what if there's a prodigal son? What do we do? They came up and talked to him about God the Father and who does God care about and who will God love and who will God... And they said, well, let me tell you about this man that had a son. It's about the Father. The story is always about God. The prodigal son is about the prodigal father because the father was more prodigal than the son was. Now, all I need you to do is look up the word prodigal because you probably think it means sinning, and it doesn't. What it means is to live wantonly or to give wantonly and excessively without regard to stewardship, if you will. And the person that gave wantonly was the father. Man, that guy's coming back after living with the pigs. And wasn't that a smack upside the face when Jesus was talking to the Jews? Because Jews don't touch people. Jews don't go with people that eat pigs. Because Jews don't eat pigs. It says right there in the law of God, you don't eat pigs. It's not going to happen. And this guy, Jesus said, had to live in the pigs and swim with the pigs. And I'm telling you, I've been there and I have swum with the pigs in the nasty poop. I have. 
And I can only imagine that this father, this father that was so forgiving, so loving, so gracious, so going out of his way to care, saw his son coming from way out because it says, there's my son who was lost to me. I can imagine he's like, and I can smell him coming. Because I'm just telling you, I'm living a life right now. We, we were one of the first families, farm families, to raise pigs inside in Ohio. Total confinement. And it was nasty. Because it was my job to run the tractor that sucked the poop out of the floor and then knife it into the field, grow up the corn, put the corn back in the pig, and they put the poop back in the hole, and then I have to suck it back out again. And this was the circle of life for me. Thank you, Jesus, for preaching. <sighs> no, but I'm just telling you, my wife and I will drive by, windows up, air conditioner on, recirc so that I'm not smelling outside where air, and I'll be like, there's a pig farm around here. You can smell it. It gets on you. It gets on you. And this kid, he had stink all over him. And you came in here today, and you think God doesn't see your stink? You think he doesn't know that you are covered in pig poop? He does, but here's the story. He's standing on the porch waiting for you to come home because he loves you. He already died for those sins. He's not saying keep sinning. He's saying leave the pigs and come home. Sure, there's the church going son that stayed home that's like, what do I get out of this deal? And, and, and the father has to say, God has to say, listen, you're already here. You're the 99 that stayed. I'm looking for the one. And when that one comes home, I'm going to look for the one again. Listen, God's not ashamed of you. He's not tired of you. He's not sick of you. He has a better life for you. And he wants you to stop sinning so that you can embrace that life. But it comes with a certain repentance. And the, the young son, you want to see the level of depravity of God who gives love away for free? What kind of God does that? He needs to talk to me because there's some people that need to earn it. Aren't we all like that? That's what the son was saying, the other son. Huh, you're just going to give him forgiveness? And that son, that prodigal son come up and he said, Father, I don't deserve. And that's about as far as he's gotten. He's like, we're having a party. We're going to celebrate. We're going to eat for days and days. He has to tell everybody that his son has come home. Nehemiah is about celebrating. And everybody got to build the wall. Everybody gets to build a wall. We ride together. We die together. Bad boy, bad boy, what you gonna do? You know you were singing that in your head. But that's what was going through my head when I wrote it down right there. We ride together, we die together. We're family and we're a church and we don't run out on each other. We're in it to build the wall and to welcome people back book of Galatians chapter 6 says, Brothers and sisters, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. If anybody thinks there's something when they're not, they're just deceiving themselves. But look at this. Each one should test their own actions. They can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to other people. For each one should carry their own load. There is a place and a job and a bill for every one of us in here. There is something for all of us to do at the Great Pumpkin Party because a thousand people are going to come into this building and need an invitation, a conversation, or a smile 
that welcomes them in and invites them if they do not have a church to come to this one. We're all struggling with sin in our lives. But I've shared with people that it's our call to gently and lovingly say, hey, there's something going on in your life that I'm concerned about. Can we talk? And this person said to me, listen, this is just between me and God. And I hate to say it, but all that proves to me is they're not walking with God because that's not what the Scripture says. There, I said it. When you tell me that this is just between you and God, the devil has fooled you. It's not. Yeast infects the whole batch. So we recognize that the Scripture says we have to come to each other lovingly, gently, in a desire to see people come back. God has called us as a church to look out for one another and to hold each other accountable in our relationship to God, but not in a punishment, aha, I caught you sort of a way, but in I'm a concerned, how do I pray for you sort of a way. Everybody gets to build a wall. Number two, everybody helped everybody succeed. Are you happy when other people succeed? Are you happy when the person next to you gets the new job, the promotion, the raise? Are you happy when somebody leaves the company that you work for and gets another job somewhere else because they busted their tail and somebody saw it and said, hey, would you come work for me? Do you ha get happy for them? Or do you begin to commiserate and begin to say, oh, let me tell you how bad they really were. Those people don't know what they're getting. That's not fair. That's not right. Because I'm going to tell you right now, the truth of the matter is, you know, until you get to that place where you can celebrate other people's winnings, you might not be a winner. But we've got to get to the place where we celebrate everybody and then wait our turn. We do. As they're rebuilding the wall, they had to look out for each other. They were under a very real threat of harm. The Scripture will tell us that as they carried a brick, they carried a sword. When they took the brick to the guy building the wall, he had his sword and his, his scabbard at his side. And so everybody could just get their sword out like that quick when people came over. But they lived under a very real threat of death. From this day on, it says in chapter 4, half my men did the work, the other half were equipped with shields, spears, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves right behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who brought the material did their work of carrying materials with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders built with two hands but had his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with Nehemiah. Listen to me. Adam's son, Cain, killed Adam's son, Abel. And God made it perfectly clear in that moment that, yes, you are your brother's keeper. When you see somebody in need, that is God inviting you, Henry Blackaby would say, to meet that need. To do what you can to help in that situation. And if you can't, then you can't. But you have to at least try. We've got to be aware of that. When everybody can be happy for everybody else's wins, everybody wins. See that? When we can be happy when each other wins, even if it's not our turn, then we all win. Because we're going to be held accountable for how we um, care for one another in the given moment. In Philippians it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement, 
from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. It doesn't say don't look to your interests. Just don't look to your own, but each of you look to the interest of others. Do that as well. Because Jesus said he's coming like a thief in the night when you least expect it. And you and I both know there are people that say, well, the ashes of the red heifer, we don't have that. And the wall's got to do this. And this has to happen. And that has to happen. Listen to me. When you start doing that, listen, I'm going to take you right back to Jesus said, no man knows the time, day, or the hour. But when Jesus comes back, he says it's going to be like two women going down and grinding out some grain. One's going to be taken, one's going to stay. See what we're saying here? We need to pay attention. But we got to celebrate people succeeding because Jesus is going to come like a thief in the night. And the scripture says, then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers of mine, you did for me. It was very important that Nehemiah told all the people, when you go back to celebrate for a whole week, you make sure everybody has what it takes to celebrate. You make enough chili for everybody. You make enough pork sliders for everybody. You make enough salad for everybody. You make sure everybody gets to celebrate. Doesn't matter when they came. Can you imagine people coming back to Jerusalem and the walls up and they're like, yes, we just came back from Crete. We've been traveling for years. And they said, oh, you don't get to celebrate with us. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says they get to come in and celebrate because we celebrate together. And the last thing is everybody gets to party. Celebrating is so important to God, and I love that he went so far as to put it in his, his word and said, you will party, and you will not cry, and you will not weep, and you will not mourn. And I can remember when a 29-year-old mother of two from this church died, and I got called after the church service to a hospital in Lexington, and I went in there, and there was about 30 people in there, and they were in there, uh, the waiting room, and they were weeping and crying because this woman was close to death. And as I was walking into the room where she was, the doctor was walking out, and I said, what do I need to know? And she said, she's gone. And I walked in, and I prayed with that family, and I came back out, and we ushered the whole family into a family room in the hospital. And then I remember, I remember, that there was a chaplain there standing right next to me. He said, come over here, Pastor Wood. He, was, he, he just was. He said, come over here. And I was like, yes, sir. And I came over there, and there was about 25 or 30 people from eastern Kentucky, and they were wailing. And I'm just here to tell you, why did I say eastern Kentucky? Because the scripture's full of times when the Jews were wailing, but they got nothing on people from eastern Kentucky. These people can wail. When somebody dies, they're grieving, and they're hurting, they will wail. And they were wailing. And this little guy had his little Bible open, and he said, hey! Listen to me. Stop crying. And that's how he said it, and that's what he said. And I looked at him. We have important things to say to you, me and Pastor Wood, and I'm going to let him go first. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because you know me. And I stood here, and I looked at him, and I said, I'm going to go first. And I said it just like this. Don't listen to this man. Cry and weep. You just lost a loved one. But can you imagine a time on the calendar when God says you may not cry and weep during this week because you're going to celebrate everything God did for you and it's going to be important. That's what the Feast of Booths was all about. In the book of Leviticus, God said it this way straight up to Moses. 
So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month after you have gathered in the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth is also a Sabbath rest. On the first day, you're to make, take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance, forever that means, okay? For the generations to come, celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in pop-up tents, in temporary shelters for seven days. All the native Israelites are to live in such shelters so your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced it to the Israelites, the appointed festivals of the land. See what I'm saying? Moses set it up so that they would always be telling their children about God and what he had done in their life. Do you ever tell your children your story about God? Do you ever tell your nieces, your nephews, your friends, your co-workers? Do they know your story about God? I don't have to back up and say, October 4th, 1960, there was a little boy born in Bangor, Maine. I don't have to do that to tell my story. It's easy enough to say, hey, God called me out. God said, Joe, I want you to come do this thing. And he sent me to Kentucky. He sent me to Oklahoma first, but he sent me to Kentucky. And, and it's an amazing thing. It just becomes part of my story. Why am I doing what I'm doing? I'm doing what I'm doing because God asked me to do it. I'm doing what I'm doing because God saved me from hell. I'm doing what I'm doing because God brought me back into the family. I'm doing what I'm doing because the Lord said there's going to be a wedding banquet, banquet and it's going to be such a celebration as you've never seen in uh, Revelation 19 and 20. It's going to go on. It's going to be amazing. It's, and Joe, you get to come because you're my bride. He said, I, 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 Joe, tell people about it. And I have to do this. We like to celebrate around here. We like to hear your stories, the way God is working in your life, because it's encouraging and it invites courage to trust God and to move forward in other people's lives. It's inspiring, and it inspires other people to follow and to obey and to serve and to give and to believe that it's for them as well. But sometimes we just don't believe God cares about us, do we? We wonder if this will ever happen for us. We share our stories because it's glorifying to God, and we all know that it's about God. It gives us a place to make a sacrifice of praise. And we say that we sing a sacrifice of praise, but what's your praise? Thank you, Lord. Is your praise not thank you for saving me? Is your praise not thank you for my family? Thank you for my children? Thank you for my kids? Thank you for my job? Even if it's a job you hate, thank you for my job that I hate, Lord. Could you provide me another one? There's nothing wrong with that, that prayer. But thank God for the, the job because there was a day that you prayed for that job. It's still part of your testimony. What's your story of celebration and who gets to hear it? I want to encourage you that we want to, as we go into the end of this year, celebrate people. And I want to hear what God's done in your life lately. I want to hear how God is moving you positively forward. And you say, well, how am I going to do that, Pastor Joe? I just want you to go home. You don't even have to go to Purdy's. I just want you to go home, and I want you to sit down, and I want you to write out. It doesn't have to be an epic novel. Just write out what God's been doing in your life. Excuse me. And then send it to stories at vineyardrichmond.com. What's God doing in your life? What's your testimony? What's your celebration? Why is it important for you to celebrate and throw a party and, and talk about what God's doing? What? Why? 
We need to be encouraged to do that more and more and more. And that's what we want to do around here. We want to celebrate people, decisions, life, hope, light. We want to celebrate. And we celebrate when we tell our stories. I've been encouraged to tell you what I'll do with those stories. I'm going to put them in a book and sell it and make millions of dollars. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That's not what I'm going to do. We're just going to share them. We'll detach your name. And you can tell us what we can and can't do with your story. You're more than welcome to do that. But we're looking for stories that we can use to celebrate people. And they'll just pop up. I don't know if you know, we have a Wednesday weekly devotional. One of the pastoral staff does a devotional once a week. It's there. It's a seven to ten minute thing. It's there. We might plug it in as an illustration and say, wow, look what God's doing because it encourages people. But some of you are in here and you're going through a time when you think, I hear what you're saying, but my life is still in a rubble. I hear, I, see, I hear what you're saying, but I don't see anybody helping me rebuild the wall. My life is still, you know what? I'm going to go with what I felt like the Holy Spirit said in the first service, and we're going to go with it this service. If you're in here and your story includes a health debility, I still believe that God heals people. And I need to move back that way in my own personal spiritual life. If you're going through something that you need God to bring healing in your life, physical healing in your life, I'm going to put it on these people over here. Would you just come up out of your chair right now and just come over here and let them pray for you? They just want to pray for healing for whatever it is. doesn't matter what it is. Time and time and time and time again. I'll go back to God, like Jesus said, and pound on that door until he gives me what I want. And if it's healing, then it ought to be healing. Just come on over here. We're praying against anything that's not right in this man's physical life that we want God to set it right again and bring healing to what he tells you it is. Anybody else? Today, I don't want to leave until somebody prays for me for healing, Pastor Joe. Let's do it. You say, well, probably nothing's going to happen. What if it does? What if God chooses this time, this moment, right now to say, okay, God, stop the pain. Okay, God, help this thing to go away. God, straighten it out. God, let's, let's let God be God. He told us to pray. Let's let God be God. Anybody else? You're in here and you're saying, you know what? Maybe today. And you can be that person that's gone, God, if you're willing. God, if you're willing. But I believe that the Lord is saying that he's willing. But we have to want to. We have to want to. I also believe that there are people in here that maybe don't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior yet. I have to believe that. And I wonder if this is a time for you to stop going to church and start being the church to be born into the church. This is the time to say, you know what? I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I want to do that. If that's you, then I want you to come over here, and these people will pray with you in that. They will. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Listen, I was 17 when the Lord said, hey, I need your heart. Actually, what I said is, Lord, I don't want to go to hell. And so I went forward. A couple years later, I came to understand that God's in love with me. He's not mad at me. He wants to forgive me. And then I gave him my heart. If that's you, these people are going to pray for you. And the last thing I'm going to say is, it's entirely possible something's going on in your life that you need prayer for, and I didn't say it as one of those two things, and that's okay. 
we are still here to pray for you because I believe in the power of God through faithful prayers. Not perfect people's prayers. Faithful people's prayers. And if you're here and you're like, Pastor Joe, I would like to have prayer for these people also. We'll be happy to pray for you. So I want to encourage you as, as we're going to go into this song, even right now, you just get up and you just come over here and say, I've got something I want them to pray for. And you don't even have to tell them what it is. You don't have to. They'll pray for you. But if you want to, they can. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Fathers, we come before you. We thank you for today. We thank you for what you're doing and who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness, even when we're unfaithful, Lord. And we just ask and pray right now that you would settle into this room and touch hearts, touch lives. God, for healing, we just want to speak against that which is out of sorts and is wrong. God, I pray against fibromyalgia. I pray against bad nerve endings. I pray against compressed discs. I, I pray against broken vertebrae. I pray against unaligned knees. God, I pray against the things that are debilitating people in the name of Jesus. God, we want to speak against cancer because that's not part of the kingdom of God. And Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. And God, we don't do the healing. It's not us, oh Lord God. It's not our righteousness. It's your great name. And we invite you to come and do the things, God, that you did of old in this place. Come, Holy Spirit. We don't come before you because we're perfect, Lord. Because we need your forgiveness. And we are very thankful that your scripture invites us that when we sin, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us from our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, I speak against the issue and the spirit of anger in people that is debilitating their physical beings. I speak against that right now. God, I speak against rebellion. Rebellion, God. And the refusal to believe. Let your comfort be upon people because I know you're here. And I know you're here to love on people. And I release this, God, in accordance with your word, that whatever we do, say, command on earth, will be commanded in heaven as well. And that wherever two or three are gathered together, here you are in our midst. And that Jesus died to bring healing to our physical bodies as well as our spiritual beings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.